Chamalama Ding Dong, everybody. <laughs> Greetings. Uh, no. We're here to talk about a movie near and dear to me, and we're here to let Carrie Ann rip it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a tug of war today. It's my birthday month. <laughs> and I'm sitting here. I am Billy today. <laughs> this movie isn't stupid. You're stupid. <laughs> Play it. This video is the biggest load of hoo-ha I've ever seen. Why do you insist we watch this stupid thing? Am I the only one who understands the complexities of this ambitious cinematic masterpiece? This movie isn't stupid! You're stupid! <laughs> oh, Billy, why you gotta be like that? <gasps> <laughs> Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where the mermaids have legs and nothing seems to make sense. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week, much to my chagrin, we are covering the 2006 fantasy film, The Lady in the Water. It is uncomplicated, and I suggest you curb your editorial comments. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I'd, uh... Oh my goodness. Shyamalan's at it again, folks. Hey, little onions. <laughs> time to... Time to pick apart another Ross's Shyamalan favorite during birthday month. Before we get started, please go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. She can't believe she's even doing I, this right now. You, the way I felt so dumb typing some of these notes. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. You know, it's not that bad if you just give it a chance. That's with an and, <laughs> not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please go practice the three R's, rate, review, retweet. And she means that. Rate, review, retweet. <laughs> Ross, tell him about the Patreon. You know, you could act a little enthused. Ross, tell them about the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your face when you did that. <laughs> Guys, there's never been a better time to give us your money, especially if you haven't gotten me a birthday present yet this year. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, guys, you can get all of our bonus content over there. You get all of our television coverage, all of our long-form coverage. We did every single episode of HBO's John Adams and Netflix's Haunting of Hill House. It's waiting over there for you right now. We got big long-form plans for the end of this year coming. Mm-hmm. All right. Psychological thriller on our hands. This is not a psychological thriller. Well, you edit the Wikipedia page then. <laughs> well, they're wrong. <laughs> Where's the citation? Uh, Shamalama Ding Dong, guys. Oh, boy. Are you ready for... This, there's not even a twist in this. I know. There's not really a twist ending to this. One of the only movies of his where there isn't one. The twist comes right at you from the very beginning. There's a woman in a pool. <laughs> <laughs> That's the twist. There's a chick that won't get out of a pool in an apartment <laughs> complex. Because she was dropped off there by a big bird. And we're going to have to give her back to the big bird in the safest way we possibly can. She can talk to birds? <laughs> his movies have defied convention. Hello, I'm Cleveland Heap. Welcome to the Cove. Challenged our beliefs. Something keeps setting up the sprinklers. There's something strange going on around this building. And explored the dark corners of our fears. I saw you! Come out of that pool right now! Now, writer and director M. Night Shyamalan. Do you wish to know your future? 
shows us what lives under the water. Where are you from? The blue world. How many of you are there? And the nightmare that waits. You will keep coming after me. In your own backyard. It is about to get very dangerous. Oh my god. We have to help her. You have an animal size. I think she might be an angel. Sometimes it isn't always what it seems. What's happening? I thought it was gonna be safe! Just keep looking in his eyes! Lady in the Water. Guys, I guess I'm mostly just here for the James Newton Howard of it all. Yeah. This score is one of the best film scores out there, in my opinion, but I just wish the story could match. No, I'm not going to call you out. I have liked way worse stuff for less. You know what I mean? And so I just, I get it. I get why you like it. It it's bec- it's doesn't make me so mad because it's empirically the worst thing I've ever seen. It makes me so mad because I am just arrogant enough to feel like I could do better. I know, I know. <laughs> All the pieces were there. I just hated the execution. Yeah, no, guys, that's 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 it with Shyamalan sometimes. <laughs> He's got all of the makings of a great film, and he doesn't put them together right. <laughs> square peg in square hole. <laughs> round peg in round hole. Not round peg in square hole. Not, not square m- peg in round hole. Not mermaid with legs in an apartment complex pool. Yes, today's plot concerns... The superintendent of a Philadelphia apartment complex discovering a sea nymph in the complex's swimming pool. <laughs> and how she's going to save humanity? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, we'll get there. Well, I know, I know. Of course, M. Night Shyamalan, he's been with us here before. We did The Village. Uh-huh. And we've talked about many Shyamalan things. He did The Sixth Sense. We covered signs. We did cover signs. I'm sorry, I forgot about signs. We did that for one of my birthday months when we did Aliens. And you know what? I am going to give... Give M. Night Shyamalan one honest-to-God, not-sarcastic compliment. Hmm. He wrote Stuart Little. He did write Stuart Little. He was with us because he wrote the (laughs) script for Stuart Little, which is one of our favorite movies. So M. Night, stick to the shit you're good at. Yeah, stop ding-donging us around, Shyamalan. I can't. Shyamalama, ding-dong. Oh, my God. Ah, God love you. Can I can I just can I just read you some things about reception of the movie? <laughs> Please. First of, first of all, it it only made two million dollars. Uh huh. It barely broke its budget, <laughs> barely. And hang in with me here, okay? <laughs> it's got twenty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Oh, it's bad. A far fetched story with little suspense and unconvincing scenarios. <laughs> Lady in the Water feels contrived pretentious, and rather silly. (laughs) Oh, Oh my God. Generally unfavorable reviews here, guys. (laughs) Common complaints include little effort was put into the viewer to believe the world. (laughs) A few moments of the film could be taken seriously. The Shyamalan was using the film as a form of self-indulgence instead of having a minor cameo. Full cosign on that. Oh, my God. I just... (laughs) Manola Darkus of the New York Times writes... Apparently those who live in the water now roam the earth trying to make us listen, though initially it's rather foggy as to what precisely we're supposed to listen to. (laughs) 
the crash of the waves, the songs of sirens, and the voice of God until we realize that, of course, we're meant to cup our ear to an even higher power, Mr. Shyamalan. <laughs> It's, oh. <laughs> Mark Kermode says, it's like someone pouring petrol over their heads and setting themselves on fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Fans fans of actor Paul Giamatti or of filmmaker M. Night Shyamalan may get something out of Lady in the Water. A fractured fairy tale about a water nymph that comes to Philadelphia <laughs> to deliver an important message. Anyone else is likely to be perplexed by the muddled myth-making or actively astonished at the self-indulgent ego of a writer-director-producer who casts himself in the role of the visionary whose martyrdom will change the world. Oh, wow. Michael Nedved says, A full-out flamboyant cinematic disaster. A work of nearly unparalleled arrogance and vapidity. Oh my god. You know, I can't do this. Are Listen, these... guys, I like the movie, okay? I, I, this is what I said when we covered The Village. I love the way this movie makes me feel there. I love the way the music makes you feel. I said it. But no, like, Carrie, like you said, it's there. All, uh-huh. the, all the pieces are there. We're just not experiencing them in the order or the way we should be experiencing them. Oh, we gotta stretch a bedtime story into a 110 minute movie. This film's message is good. We just don't know what it is. No. <laughs> I feel like if you were to put Shyamalan's cinematic tantrum aside, like, I'm not a bad writer, you're all just stupid. If you were to put that aside, I do think this movie has a message and we will get to it at the end, but it, again, with the execution. So I, I, I will hold those comments until the end. It's a Razzie winner. Yeah. Worst director and worst supporting actor, both for Shyamalan. That's so funny. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're right. This is kind of like the village didn't do good, so this is his tantrum, right? Yeah. Because this was immediately after the village. <laughs> All right, folks, you might have guessed it, but we've got names, and oh, do we ever. Cleveland Heap, our protagonist today, he is the superintendent of The Cove, a Philadelphia apartment complex. We have, please welcome him back to Kicking and Streaming, Mr. Paul Giamatti. He is, admittedly, my favorite thing about this. I know, right? He was with us when we covered Big Big Fat Fat Liar. He's also with us over on the Patreon when we covered HBO's John Adams as John Adams. Yeah, if you just want to hear Ross drool over Paul Giamatti some more, you can go over and pay five bucks for it. Okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) he is great. He's a great actor. He's also with us when we did My Best Friend's Wedding. He's the bellhop. Mm -hmm. Yep, in that movie. As story, the narf, the sea nymph, the mermaid, the siren, Whatever. <laughs> no, that's the thing. That's the thing I said outside. The way this man is like, I'm not a bad writer while having a tantrum with a movie that's already about things that exist, and he just played Mad Libs with the names. Be quiet. Okay. We have Bryce Dallas Howard. Please welcome her back to Kicking and Streaming. She was with us and we did The Village. Yes, she was. She is Ivy. M. Night Shyamalan likes working with Bryce Dallas Howard. You will also know her from when we did The Help, because she's the impossible racist, Hilly Holbrook. She's also a random background extra in The Grinch. I don't know if we ever talked about that. Yeah, yeah, no, she is in The Grinch, because we did The Grinch, and we talked about that because she's Ron Howard's daughter, and Ron Howard directed The Grinch. You also know her from things like Black Mirror. Yeah. Nosedive. That's my favorite episode. She's the hot vampire who's evil in Twilight. Oh, boy. Jessica or Victoria or whatever her name is. <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, she's also in the uh, uh, Jurassic World. Yes, with the Chris Pratt. Yeah, with the Chris Pratt. Absolutely. <laughs> also Mandalorian. 
Yeah. And the Boba Fett. She's in Star Wars things, too. Everybody's part of the MCU at this point. Portraying Tenet and film critic Harry Farber, we have Bob Balaban. My least favorite character. Uh, you'll know him from uh, Godsford Park. Um, he was in uh, Midnight Cowboy from 1969. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Oh, boy. Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel. He's very Wes Anderson savvy. Yeah. French Dispatch. Uh, he's in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yes, Deconstructing he is. Harry. He's in Capote. His character is is fun it, yeah. in this movie. Yeah, but I feel added. You should. <laughs> All right, let's get down to our tenants here. Oh, man. Portraying That's... Vikram Ran, Vic. Yeah. You know him. Mm-hmm. You love him. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan. Mm-hmm. He's always in his movies, but this is like one of the biggest roles he's had in his movies. He's usually just the cameo, but no, mm-hmm. he cast himself in a very important role for this. As a writer. Imagine well, that. Imagine that. Yeah, I don't think it's that bad, everybody. Everybody can. <laughs> yeah. Portraying Vikram's sister, uh, Anna. Anna Ran. We have Sarita Chaudhry. Um, I know her most keenly from... Lady in the Water. Yeah. But she's also Snow's chief of staff in the Hunger Games saga. Really? Yeah, she's in Mockingjay, part I, one and two. I also do like her in this movie. She is one of my favorite things about the movie. Um, She Hate Me from 2004, Restless, A Perfect Murder. Oh, she's in Jessica Jones. <laughs> MCU. And she's Seema Patel from In Just Like That, the Sex in the City thing. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Uh, portraying Young Soon Choi, we have Cindy Chung. Um, you will know her from Children's of Invention and The Sinner. Portraying Reggie, the freak that only works out on one side of his body. <laughs> we have Freddie Rodriguez. <laughs> Please welcome him back. Um, what's he been with us before? Planet Terror. Oh, yeah, he's from Planet Terror. <laughs> when we watched it again this time, I went... Oh, Freddie, no. Yeah, yeah. Oh, (laughs) Freddie. Blink twice if you need help. (laughs) We must not forget Scooby-Doo Pirates Ahoy. Never, never forget. (laughs) Never forget it. Oh, he's from Dead Presidents, My Brother Jack, Payback. Portraying Mr. Leeds, we have Bill Irwin. Please welcome him back to Kicking and Streaming. He was with us when he was Lou Who in How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Bryce Dallas Howard, apparently. And we need a Funkle for your cousin Leon. Yeah, and you love him because he's Olivia Benson's uh, shrink on Law & Order SVU. I do, in fact. Yeah, we love Bill Irwin. In addition, we've also got uh, Jared Harris. Please welcome him back to Kicking and Streaming. His character's name is Goatee Smoker. <laughs> this is, oh my God, the, the later credits this man would have in his career, and I can't believe he is an unnamed character. Yeah, he's Lane Price in Mad Men. He's King George VI on The Crown. He's Professor Moriarty from the Sherlock movies. Uh-huh. He's he's Legosov from Chernobyl. He like... was with us when we did uh, Lincoln. Yes, he's <laughs> in his Bad He's really bad Ulysses S. Grant portrayal in <laughs> in Lincoln. He's also in the Benjamin Button movie. And Mr. Deeds. Mr. Deeds. Yeah, he is. Uh, Joseph D. Reitman, um, he's in this. He's the long-haired smoker. Lord. I know. Who has literally no lines, I feel like. As Mrs. Bell, we've got Mary Beth Hurt. William Hurt's ex-wife. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Who was in the village? Oh, okay. <laughs> He's Edward Walker in the village. She was in Red Dragon. She's also in this movie I like called The Dead Girl. Uh-huh. I like those movies a lot. She's in Six Degrees of Separation mm-hmm. and Age of Innocence and The World According to Garp. We've also got uh, Tova Felchu as uh, Mrs. Boobchick. <laughs> <laughs> We've got uh, Noah Gray Cabey as Joey. 
Uh-huh. Mr. Dury's son, and we've got Jeffrey Wright as Mr. Dewey. You know Jeffrey Wright. He's BT from The Hunger Games. He's yes. also in Angels of America, or Angels in America, pardon me. And Casino Royale, and hey. Quantum of Solace, and No Time to Die. Wow, he's a Bond guy. And he's in Boardwalk Empire as well. Oh, he's also Isaac Dixon from The Last of Us Part Two. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't know who Isaac Dixon is in that because I haven't seen The Last of Us Part Two or know. Well, I do know what happens, but yeah, because you read ahead. I'm never gonna play the game. <laughs> I'm sorry if that hurts you. <laughs> All right, folks, we have to get to the content because Carrie Ann's already crawling out of her skin. (laughs) I have notes. I know this seems like the kind of thing that I would like to skate through on my notes, but I have feelings. My opening note is, James Newton Howard is a genius, (laughs) and M. Night Shyamalan is a genius, doomed to never prove it. (laughs) (sighs) Oh, Lord. Carrie, this music, Mm -hmm. it does something to me. I know. David Ogden Stiers. Yeah, David Ogden Stiers, who I did not mention. Yeah, no, he's Cogsworth. He's our narrator. And yes, he's the voice of Cogsworth. And he was with us when we did uh, Spirited Away. He's Kamaji. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I didn't even I didn't even think. I know, I know. I don't think about it until it comes up and he starts talking because I was like, what is this, the beginning of Beauty and the Beast? Mm, yeah, I know, right? Because he also does the narration for that opening. Once, man and those in the water were linked. They inspired us. They spoke of the future. Man listened, and it became real. But man does not listen very well. This may very well be a version of the bedtime story that we will hear Mm -hmm. uh, about throughout the narrative. (laughs) So basically... The, the man is um, not able to govern themselves effectively. Ring a bell? <laughs> and apparently we used to be guided by those that lived in the blue world. Yeah. The, the, the creatures of the water who are basically just taken from many different lores. They are nymphs. They're sirens. They're mermaids, guys. Women who live in the water who are very powerful and magical. But these guys can see the future. That, yes, that's yes. what's significant about it. They are seers. They can they can see ahead of us. <laughs> I know, Carrie. <laughs> I know. It's going to come back <laughs> in a way that I am critical. <laughs> <laughs> but then you guessed it. Man screwed everything up by not listening to the ladies in the water who can tell the future anymore. <laughs> we just started fighting each other over resources and going further inland and getting further away from the water. And now things are awful. But now... Those in the water are trying again trying to reach us. A handful of their precious young ones have been sent into the world of man. They are brought in the dead of night to where man lives. They need only be glimpsed, and the awakening of man will happen. And then apparently they have enemies that roam the land, these grass dogs that... (laughs) I know, Carrie. I know that it all sounds silly. It's the fact that we're seeing it now, and then we'll get the explanation in a slow drip for the next 60 minutes. Many of these water ladies do not return home because of their enemies that roam the land. Yet still they try. Try to help man. But man may have forgotten how to listen.
We begin at The Cove, a Philadelphia apartment complex where Cleveland Heap is the superintendent. This is Paul Giamatti. We're in the apartment of the Perez de la Torre family, and he's trying to kill a very hairy big bug <laughs> that is living underneath their sink. His life is uninteresting, and his job is very demanding. We've got a new tenant moving in today. This is Harry Farber. He's a film critic who's been flown out by the publication he works for. What brings you out here from the West Coast, Mr. Farber? Well, I, I've been hired to be the local film and book critic for the paper. They flew you all the way out here for that? They did. Well, oh, you must be very good. this character in principle if not in practice because this is really just M. Knight's middle finger to every single film critic that panned one of his movies. Which, I mean, whatever. I'm glad you're doing things on your own terms. Like, Shyamalan. Mr. Like, Farber is just so unpleasant you don't like him from the jump and it's, again, it's just his way to dump on the critics. Heap starts introducing Farber to everyone else he knows in the building. Oh, for crying out loud. We've got young Soon Choi who lives with her mother. She's a student at the university the local university. And yeah, she and Mr. Heap are buddies. They are buddies, aren't they? They both like to read. Uh-huh. Like, she's always giving him books and stuff. When she says to Farber, Mr. Heap loves learning. He doesn't want people to know. Mr. Heap, pool man looking for you. I tell him you come soon. And the pool guy, another one I didn't mention. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, the guy that plays O'Neill from Orange is the New Black. I'm sorry, I can't remember your name right now, but I don't have time. <laughs> and he's like, listen, I was just here yesterday, and you're calling me back already. Because the, the filter's all grimy. He's like, you're letting people swim in here at night. You're having parties in here at night or something. With bubble bath and, like, yeah. you're fucking up the filtration system. And you're making this water super slick and dangerous for people out here. And Heap's like, nope, nope, I've not been allowing anything. I really don't know what's going on. And the pool guy's like, all right, I'm going to trust you on that. And then he pulls that really long string of red hair out of the filter. <laughs> well, I would go to the redheaded tenants. <laughs> like, hey. that's just the logical first step for me. You've been swimming at night? Because, you know, there's no swimming after seven. <laughs> Mr. Heap, the way, like, he tries to be the super, but, like, is also, like, please don't yell at me, please. Yeah, he's a nice guy. When Farber is getting acquainted with Reggie, <laughs> the freak tenant who will only work out on one side of his body. For, like, science. Yeah. <laughs> me and the new guy here, we're talking science. Most people say, hey, what's wrong with you, Reggie? Why are you only working out on one side of your body? Tell him it's like an experiment. I'm like a scientist. Don't hang out in the stairwell, Reggie. Please. Okay. People might trip. All right. We also have Mr. Leeds, who is just very cryptic and weird. He never speaks. And yeah. He's been there forever. But he also also keeps the door open in case anyone wants to pop their head in and be ignored by him. There's also Mrs. Bell, who loves animals. She takes them in. She's the cat lady. Mm-hmm. She's a cat lady. There's also the apartment that's full of all the smoker friends. Yeah, the dope-smoking beatniks is what I have. I think Jared Harris, I think Goatee is the tenant. Yeah. But they all just kind of hang out there all the time. <laughs> You know, and, you know, Cleveland lives in this little house just beyond the pool, mm -hmm. very tiny, and he just, he's constantly exhausted because he has to take care of everything in that building, right? Mm -hmm. He fixes everything for everyone. When he's, when he's listening to that voicemail message about, from the lady who's like, I think someone's dead in the apartment upstairs, <laughs> and he's just sighing and shaking his head. Like, it's probably the third time this week she's called. 
that night, he hears splashing outside in the pool, and he thinks, aha, I have my culprits. <laughs> he even sees movement in the pool, and he goes to investigate, but there's no one there, seemingly. He finds this little bracelet on the pavement, and he puts it on a deck chair. Mm -hmm. And as he's walking away, we get the great shot of the nymph... <laughs> Hopping up out of the water and stealing the bracelet off the deck chair. Shiny. It's very Little Mermaid energy. <laughs> we'll get more of it as we go along. And he's like, I saw you. I saw you. And like she re-submerges, but then never re-emerges. He's alarmed. Hey, hey. Come on out now. It's, it's, it's not safe. Oh, come on out. This is not... It's not funny. And no one comes out. And since he's so alarmed because no one's emerging, he goes into that pool further and he's diving down trying to look for someone and he can't get to whoever it is. So when he resurfaces, he takes off running around the pool, <laughs> slips and knocks himself out and rolls right like, back into the pool. He's wearing shoes. How did this happen? But then the pool guy did say, you're making the water oily with whatever you're doing. Yeah. So that makes a little more sense for me now. When he wakes up, He's back in his house with a very pale, very long-haired young woman who is wearing nothing but his t-shirt. <laughs> she somehow knew that it would be immodest to let him wake up to her naked. Well, like, not a t-shirt, but one of his dress shirts, It's a button-down, yeah. yeah. Her eyes have no color. Yeah. It's, her irises are white. It's really weird, and her eyelashes are real light, and she just, it's, she's disconcerting to look at. It's like she's staring straight through your soul. Where are you from? Blue world. Is that an apartment? Do you feel an awakening? I'm sorry. It will feel like pins and needles inside. And he just doesn't respond, and she goes, "It is not you." Like all disappointed, and I'm like, "All right, what what, what what's happening?" She's one of the people from the water. She is here to reawaken man and make him straighten up and fly right. Man being in the pejorative sense here. It's late. You really shouldn't be here. I'm kind of old-fashioned that way. I don't even know your name. My name is Story. I didn't mean for you to tell. Why am I not stuttering? That's something we failed to mention so far, is Cleveland's horrendous stutter that he deals with. Yeah. And um, a lot of the time, stutters form in um, childhood, right? But you it's, think this is a semi-recent development? I don't think he stuttered his whole life. Mm, we'll learn more about that later. Yeah. But he just realizes, I'm not... Why He's freaked out by it. He's yeah. like, why am I not stuttering? And like she's hiding in here because she's scared of something outside. There is this vague threat outside that she will not go into more detail about that is coming for her. She tells him she's scared. Mm -hmm. And he says that she can wait there until she doesn't feel so scared. It's nice. And she, like she almost like kind of passes out. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, where'd you fucking come from? And they sleep again. And he wakes up with her on him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, tell me who in the world you are anyway. And she whispers the word narf. <laughs> narf! <laughs> like from Pinky and the Brain! <laughs> what? Oh, Shyamalan cannot name things. He just can't. Heap? 
Cleveland Heap? I mean, what I, is that derived from? Is it H E A P? It's H, not as in he make a nice a heap. Yeah. <laughs> it's H E E P. I don't know. Okay. Again, Sean, you're making stuff up again, M Night. Uh, yeah, like I, I think we'll just call him Cleveland. <laughs> I was, I wrote Heap throughout most. Of my <laughs> so did I. So this is gonna be hard. So he takes her outside to get some fresh air. And suddenly the grass, the turf, is hostile. Yeah, no, there looks like what looks like a dog running through the tall grass outside by the woods. We hear it growl and we see its shadow in the mist. And like its really orange eyes. <laughs> it is it is a little scurry. And when she notices it, she loses her goddamn mind. <laughs> And they haul ass back to the cottage. They both scream. He runs inside with her in his arms, and they slam the door right in its face. <laughs> and the very next day, Heap is describing the animal to an animal control officer. It's hardly believable. <laughs> He's telling him that it looked like it was covered in grass, uh-huh. and that it came up to half his height. And, like, the animal control guy is like, dude, it was a muddy dog. Yeah. Calm down. There's nowhere for a big dumb animal like that to hide around here. And also the Sprinklers keep going off constantly. Because that dog is out there hiding on the turf. Yeah, I know. It's creepy. That's and we- makes and is very unbelievable. Yeah, because like- that, that's what we didn't explain about the layout of this place. What we see of the cove is mostly the courtyard when we're outside. And, like, it's a concrete courtyard, and there's a pool in the middle of it. And then off in the distance, short distance, there is, like, this little wooded area. So it really is kind of secluded mm-hmm. from the larger uh, community. Like, we've seen no other locations in this movie. This yeah. movie costs $70 million, and it's filmed in one location. Well, like you said, they built the whole location. Like, yeah. he's notorious for that. Remember the village he built in a field in Pennsylvania? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Story discovers the shower in Cleveland's house. She thrives best in water. Yeah. She is from the sea. While she's doing that, Heap asks Young Soon about the word narf. And she tells him that it's from an old Eastern bedtime story that her great-grandmother used to tell her when she was still alive. Bedtime story? What's the story? I do not remember. How about your mother? She then takes him to her mother to inquire further about the story. Oh, man. And painstakingly were given parts of the story through Mrs. Choi. And she who does not want to take the time to fuck with Cleveland about this. Because Ms. Choi does not speak English, so daughter has to ask her questions in Chinese, and then she repeats them in Chinese, and then it's a little, it's a little much. In the bedtime story, she must be seen by the one human chosen for her. This person is called the vessel. Seeing the north will awaken something in the chosen one. If she's successful in this, she will return with the great eagle, a giant eagle, and become free. So let me get this straight. She gets dropped off here by a big bird, 
And then there's supposed to be a human that is basically assigned to her that she's supposed to see and inspire to change the world, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. Just with a look, though. Yeah, just with a look. Just by staring at them. Not by telling them the future or any of those other cool things these narfs can do. And I just, and, and what's really infuriating about it is that when Heap goes back to the, his little house and asks her about this person. When she's naked. When she's naked, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's just not. <laughs> not picking up on how uncomfortable he is. He's like, do you know who this person is? Is somebody supposed to see you? <laughs> it is a writer. And she basically shakes her head and says, all I know is that he's a writer. And I'm like, well, that's the thing. She doesn't know if it's a man or a woman. She doesn't know their name. She just knows that this person is supposed to be a writer. But she can also see the future. And here's the other thing. She speaks fucking English. (laughs) See, you're getting me riled up about it now. And I do not high five me. Oh, my God. She can see the future, but doesn't know who this person's supposed to be. She can also speak English. Make it make sense. I know, Carrie. I know. Fun drinking game. Every time I say make it make sense, take a drink. She does tell him that whatever this person is writing is meant to be very, very important to humanity. Yeah. So that's our next course of action. We got to find the writer in the complex. And so Story says she can leave tonight if she meets this writer person. And Cleveland says he's going to do his best to help get her home. I don't know how Cleveland is justifying any of this to himself with without involving law enforcement. I know, right? This per- like it, to any normal person, you'd say this person's unwell. Uh-huh. This is a young woman who is troubled mm-hmm. and is either homeless or on drugs or I don't know. She was trying to like squat in the apartment complex or something, you know. But strangely, Mr. Heap is listening to her oh yeah there it is yeah yeah (laughs) there it is that's why we're not involving law enforcement cleveland goes to farber and asks him if he's writing anything important lately which he's not and you know cleveland realizes that he's not the one but uh farber says that his neighbor mrs bell was a writer at one time and mrs bell when she's when she's petting the kitty (laughs) out front and that butterfly lands on her shoulder he's like cleaning the railing and he's (laughs) like so uh i understand that you're a writer mrs bell now where'd you hear such things maybe i read your book That'd be quite a trick. It's been out of print for 20 years. He's like, so you're not writing anything right now? And she's like, nope. Mr. Farber has been talking out of turn. He's been talking out his ass. And that butterfly lands on her shoulder. Why, there's a lot of butterflies around this building. Strange behavior for them. They're not usually so trusty. So that's another nothing burger. And uh, suspect number three is Mr. Dury. Yeah, he's fixing a lamp in the Dury's apartment. Mr. Dury has a proclivity for crossword puzzles. He's a grandmaster at crossword puzzles. And no matter what scene we see the Dury's in, him and his son Joey, Joey is always eating goddamn cereal. Always. And he's always got a cereal box and always commenting on the back of the cereal boxes. So you like words a lot, huh? I adore them. Are you, are you writing anything, Mr. Dury? A book, maybe? No, I, uh, I'm afraid my skills are limited to, to crossword puzzles. That 
that's also a nothing burger because he's like, because Mr. Dury's like, I just do the puzzles. I don't write things. He even goes as far as to ask the cult of smokers if they are writing anything important. No, I love that moment from Paul Giamatti where he's fixing the garbage disposal and he's like, I have to ask them if they write. But if they do, I'm going to get a 20 minute lecture about some shit I don't understand or care about. Say or... <laughs> Gentlemen, I uh, don't suppose any of you have written anything lately an essay or something something uh, important no essays here my man. okay stop putting your clothes in the garbage disposal and stop smoking this is the beginning of the movie really irritating me with the slow drip of information. Yeah, I know. It's a pacing technique because we really only have about 70 minutes of actual narrative here. I know. And that's being stretched into 110 minutes. Mr. Heap. <laughs> Mr. Heap comes across young young soon again. <laughs> she says, my mom told me a little bit more of the story before she threw a cushion at me. <laughs> and he's like, wait a minute, young soon. Are you writing anything right now? Something for school, maybe? And she's like, no, I'm taking all multiple choice. I'm not stupid. <laughs> she tells him that there are creatures called scrunts that roam the land to kill narfs. And, like, they can lay completely flat. That's why men never notice them. Their backs are covered in grass. They just look like a bump in the lawn. Yeah. And, like, <sighs> I, <laughs> I know. The slow drip of information. Because that's just a Choi just tell the complete story. Why are we getting it in chunks? In the basement, he's doing maintenance things, and he encounters Vic and Anna. They're two siblings that live together in the complex. And this is what makes me mad. Heap knows that Vic's a writer. It's the first thing he says. How's the writing? Mr. Heap, the light over my desk is still not working. I promise I'll get to it. How's the writing? Slow. How long have you been writing, Vic? Six months. What? I should finish, right? It just, it just sits on his desk. My brother's scared. He'll do anything to get out of writing. See this? It's the third load of laundry he's done this week. He's like, hey, you know what? I'll fix that lamp for you right now. Why on earth did it take him so long to suspect Vic? That's bad writing in itself. Okay, well, <laughs> shut up, Carrie. <laughs> and like, while he's fixing the lamp, he notices the manuscript on Vic's desk, which says, do not read. And after accidentally bumping the desk with the with the ladder, <laughs> it opens up and it's entitled, The Cookbook. <laughs> the way he just sighs to himself, this is getting a little silly. <laughs> I'll say! And he, when he goes back downstairs and he's like, fix that lamp for you. By the way, are you both cooks? Wait a minute, I don't understand something. I'm sorry, my, my ladder accidentally bumped into your desk. I ended up seeing the title of what it is you're writing. It said the cookbook. I know, it's a bad title, right? It's actually you know, just my thoughts on all the cultural problems and thoughts on leaders and stuff. I don't know who's going to want to publish the thing. The word that's not being used here is manifesto. Yeah, it's a manifesto. <laughs> and like, I mean, that's all well and good. We never get a lot of context for exactly what's in the book, but I would have actually have loved to hear some of it. I, 
<laughs> Cleveland brings Vic back to the house, right? Mm-hmm. And he like goes in ahead of him to prep story for meeting him. She's got his diary. Yeah, she's been stealing objects from around the house that she likes. Look at this stuff. Isn't, Isn't it neat? Yes. <laughs> Wouldn't you think like, my collection? How transfixed she is by that paperweight earlier. <laughs> and she's holding his journal and she goes, Your thoughts are very sad. Booster of one night. A night a man entered your home when you were not there. He stole many things and killed your wife and children. That is when you stopped being happy. Yeah, guys. His family was murdered during a break-in gone wrong. Yeah. And that was just kind of the moment he stopped being happy. Well, wouldn't it be? Well, yeah. Well, I get it. I'm not saying that like, oh, Cleveland, you're such a snowflake. I'm saying it like that's when he really stopped being happy and believing he had purpose in life. Yeah. He was a doctor. I know. My God. She tells him, you know, listen, you have a purpose. You believe you have no purpose. You help all that live here. Anybody can do this job, Story. You have a purpose. All beings have a purpose. And Cleveland tells Story that he believes he's found her vessel and that he's brought him along. Mm -hmm. He lets Vic in. And the moment Vic sets eyes on Story, it's instant. Oh, no, he's bothered. Vic feels weird. He says he feels funny, that it's nothing. and Pins and needles. Cleveland's like, is it like a pins and needles? Like your soul went to sleep? Is it a pins and needles kind of feeling? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Maybe you should go lie down. Nice meeting you. I'm so very happy we saw each other. So Story's like, now that I've met the one human I was supposed to meet and inspire to change the world, I'm ready to go. Mm -hmm. It's time to dip. And, get it? Dip? Like, in the pool? Okay. Sorry. And, you know, (laughs) he leaves her by the pool alone. Right? That night for the Eatlon to come pick her up. Because he's not allowed to watch. Yeah, because he's just some other rando. You're not allowed to watch. Mm -hmm. And, like, I just... No one bothers to explain why he can't watch because she can't tell him things about her world. But it's because if he knows he's a loophole, you know, Yeah, he's a loose end. And so he leaves her to go and he goes back inside and starts picking up trash and puttering around like, well, I guess that weird chapter in my life is over. And she runs back inside the building because the scrunt came after her. Calm down. (laughs) Calm down. How'd you get those scratches? Did the eagle come? Did something go wrong? Story? Story! Was it that dog again? When it burst through the door? Oh my god! It's great creature design. It is great creature design! I just have to say. I just want to know why all they had to do was run up a couple of stories and got away from it. Does it not know how to climb stairs? He takes her to who's closest, the Rands. Yeah. To Vic and Anna. And Anna's so funny telling Vic that they're in his apartment. I love Anna so much. She's beautiful. She's not feeling that well. So she's lying down in my room. Why is she here? Why isn't she at his place? 
Well, she got sick in the stairwell downstairs. She's wearing no clothes under his shirt. Blim, blam. Mr. Heap is a player. <laughs> Probably the best line in the movie. Mr. Heap is, is a, a player. player. <laughs> She's like, I cannot believe he is running around with this, with this naked, naked young girl in nothing but his t-shirt. And then... He leaves her with Vic and Anna, and he... <laughs> oh, do we need to take her to a hospital? No, 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 no. We are so not inviting the state into this. And he goes to the Choi's apartment looking for Young Soon. She's not there. She's at a club. <laughs> but Mom doesn't know that. In this tedious business where she, her mother has called her on the cell phone in the club, and then she talks to Heap on the cell phone, and then he has to hand the phone back to Mom, and then Mom hands the phone back to him. To it's... make it a faster business. Thank God. She tells him, Scrunts have poison that kill narfs, but narfs can protect themselves with a mud they have called ki, K-I-I, mm-hmm. and it's kept where they live, and he asks Young Soon how a narf is supposed to protect herself from the scrunt when she's trying to return. She said only a rogue scrunt will break the law of that night because most scrunts are afraid. Afraid of what? Tartutic. They are the law keepers in this bedtime story. Her grandmother said there are three of them but they are called one name, Tartutic. They live in the trees. They are said to look like monkeys. No one knows for sure because no one who has seen them has lived. And this is where we get the whole bit about the Tartutic, who are the law keepers in this bedtime story. They're the ones that are supposed to protect the Narf from the scrunts, and they come in the form of three grass-covered monkeys that live in the trees, <laughs> and they're so evil, they killed their parents on the night they were born, and... No, like, one of the things that Young Soon actually says is that they have inspired law and order in the blue world for centuries. This is the beginning of my fussy paragraph right here. Yeah, yeah. I said, is the blue world not the ocean? Isn't it? It is the ocean. Okay, so why do these monkeys who live on the land inspire lawfulness in the blue world if the worlds are so far apart? That's like me agreeing not to steal everything that's nailed down because I'm afraid little green men who live on the dark side of the moon are going to be mad at me about it. You done? (laughs) You done? You still got more to say? (laughs) Like, I just... It is stupid, Karen. (laughs) It's very stupid. And I've liked way stupider things for less. Anyway, the the pieces were there. They they just were not put together in a way that makes any kind of good sense. It feels like the creative equivalent of watching someone play Tetris. And that incredibly valuable vertical blue block comes down. (laughs) And they put it in the wrong spot. And I just want to have an aneurysm. So Cleveland needs this key mud to fix her leg wounds. <laughs> yeah. So he discovers at the bottom of the pool, inside the vent at the bottom, a tunnel that Story herself has created that goes down <laughs> into a small underwater cave she has built. It's very part of your world. Yeah. <laughs> and he gets stuck down there and almost drowns trying to retrieve the key. <laughs> like when he literally takes apart that pen and uses it to breathe the air that's inside an overturned glass. No, Story has trapped air and brought it down here with her. I know. Why? Because it's cool. Okay, fine. I don't know. <laughs> fine. Li- quite literally, Carrie, look at this stuff. 
Isn't it neat? She's got butter knives and bracelets and paperweights, shiny rocks. Yeah, things people have left out by the pool. Who's leaving paperweights by the pool? Well, you know, sometimes you want to read your mail at the pool. <laughs> you don't want it to blow uh, away. You don't want it to blow pool. away into the pool, you okay. know. Okay, all right. Hey, that makes sense to me. And the door gets stuck, and he almost drowns, but he gets out. He's fine. And <laughs> like, this, that sequence always makes me uneasy, but whatever. I am afraid of drowning. I love water, but I am afraid of drowning. Young Soon stops by after the club and says, Listen, my mom's not going to tell you this whole bedtime story until you present yourself to her as an innocent. She <laughs> thinks of you as a stranger. And until you act childlike in front of her, she's probably not going to tell you the whole thing. This is also where she tells him about... The Madam Narf, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, the, I, the supreme of the Narves. I wrote another ham-fisted exposition dump from Young Soon, who claims Story may be a Madam Narf. I can't even believe I'm typing these words. Apparently Story is one in a thousand Narfs who will be the leader of her people, and that the Scrunt is willing to break the laws imposed by Tartutic in order to kill the Madam Narf. It's why it keeps breaking the law, because the Madam Narf is a... Once in a lifetime chance for a scrunt to have glory? I don't fucking know. <laughs> make it make sense! <laughs> oh my god. When he goes to story and is like, is that little room you made down there supposed to collapse at some point? Or, and she's like, I'm not allowed to speak of the blue world. And he's like, you know, I noticed that you took things from around the apartment that people left around the pool. That's how I saw you. You were taking something off of a chair. I think I might know why this grunt needs to get you so bad. Why did he break the rules tonight? As it turns out, I think that you're someone very important to everyone. Even though she doesn't know that, she man has to tell her that she's that person. She has to tell the future seer that she is going to be a very big deal. I just can't. And... Cleveland comes in the next day. The mud he found is working. It's healing her wounds. And, you know, he takes her back to the Rands. And Vic is like, listen, I don't know who you are, but you did something to me. My thoughts. If everything became clearer, the fears that were muddling my thoughts just went away. I can hear myself. Now, Shyamalan, I do got to give you credit. Relatable, dude. Like, just the line, I can hear myself now. Yeah. That's that's so interesting and so relatable from a writer's point of view. Like, especially when you're suffering from block and you just feel like nothing that you are conceptualizing is making any sense. And it's like you're reading your own thoughts in a different language. And now with her... It's like all the pipes have cleared, and he's writing up a storm all of a sudden. She says, do you wish to know your future? Oh, no. This is... Oh, boy. She tells him in front of Cleveland and Anna that a boy is going to be born in the heartland and will grow up in a home where the cookbook will be on the shelf and spoken of often, and that 
he will grow up with his ideas in his head and will become a great orator. This boy will become leader of this country and begin a movement of great change. He will speak of you and your words. Your book will be the seeds of many of his great thoughts. It will be the seeds of change. The cookbook? And Anna's so funny. The cookbook? <laughs> Best comedic timing in this friggin' movie! It's, it's just, God, every time Anna's on screen, I'm like, oh, girl, please say something funny. I need it. <laughs> I also have to mention real quick the Bubachooks, the Bubachecks, the Boobichecks. Oh, Lord. When he goes to fix their toilet, and Mrs. Bubachick can't keep a secret to save her life. She's always telling everyone in the complex all of her and her husband's business. Don't tell him I told you. He's got this growth on his ass. <laughs> Don't tell him I told you. <laughs> Honey? Cleveland's here. He's come to fix the toilet. Tell him I had it fixed already. I called the plumber this morning. Don't let it hurt his feelings. Right. That's, 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 that's okay. I should come when you call. It's my job. <laughs> I had already called the plumber this morning. <laughs> Don't tell him it hurt his feelings. Why does she sound like, why does she sound like... She's a member of Sylvia Fine's family. Yes, that's what it is. <laughs> Based on her accent and the interior of her apartment. She's, she's Fran's aunt from Philly. <laughs> I buy it. I so buy it. Oh, my goodness. And he also goes around to see Mrs. Choi again. And after acting like a child eating milk and cookies in front of her. So that she'll trust him? Yeah. He's told the rest of the fucking bedtime story. And the story's now mute for some reason. And constantly in the Rand shower. Yeah, because here's the thing. She can't confirm or deny any information that Mr. Heap is getting from Mrs. Choi because she's not allowed to tell, you know, earthlings about her world or whatever. So to get the story straight, Cleveland has to ask her questions. But, you know, Anna comes up with this little way for her to divulge information without divulging it. You know what I did when I was a little girl and me and my girlfriends would get in big trouble? My mom always wanted to know what happened. But I was like, I can't tell my friends. So she came up with this way of me telling her things without talking. She would say, touch your ear or something if the answer is yes. So I would, and then she would know certain things, but I didn't really feel like I told her my friends. It was cheating, I know, but it made me feel better. Anna's so good with her. I know. I love how good Anna is with her. Cleveland says the Narf has to come to a preordained place and she must leave from that same spot. It's very important. That would be the pool. There are humans. <laughs> there are humans around her with powers that can help her. What? And these people have unconsciously been drawn to live near the vessel, i.e. Vic. Okay. All right. And none of these people know who they are. They always appear in the story earlier. She confirms this. Yeah. There's a symbolist, a guardian, and a guild. And she doesn't know who any of these people are. Story believes Cleveland is one of them, the guardian most likely, given everything they've been through already. The, the guardian will protect her from the scrunt. The symbolist will come up with a way to make everything work out. Like and, looking for signs, looking for patterns. And the guilds are all, the guild is also just kind of a group of protectors like, under the guardian. Hands who will combine to help. And Story doesn't know who any of these people are either and cannot tell anybody who they are. And Cleveland also mentions the healer, which is not in every version of the story, but may be necessary when a narf is attacked. And the healer attracts butterflies. You're just suiting 
misreading your plot here, Shyamalan. <laughs> she confirms the great Elon, the Lord of the Eagles, will only return one final time for her. Only once? So Cleveland has to set out to figure out who everyone is. And he gets advice from Mr. Farber because... The plot expert. Yeah, he's got a head for archetypes and for plot. The simple person should be simple. Look for any character who was doing something mundane but required analysis. Someone who was skilled at puzzles. Joy, you can't have cereal for lunch. This picture on the cereal box is supposed to make you feel happy. I feel sad like that time you forgot to pick me up at school. And he tells, you know, to look for someone who uh, is good with puzzles for the symbolists. Like Mr. Dury. Uh-huh. Who likes his crossword puzzles. And uh, for the guild, you're looking for a group of people who are seemingly insignificant. And I know that's all ringing a bell for us, those beatniks in that apartment. Yeah, a group that's always together. The Cult of Smokers with Jared <laughs> Harris. I think Shyamalan is adding himself. I don't know, With man. this whole Farber thing, like, <laughs> and like, you know, he gets those two, he gets Dury and he gets the smokers and he decides Mrs. Bell's the healer because he remembers the butterflies landing on her. What was the exposition like for these people? I know. We don't get to see it. We don't get to see him set them down and go, all right, listen, there's a mermaid in the pool in the courtyard. <laughs> and um, for reasons that Shyamalan refuses to explain, uh, I need your help to get her home to the big bird and the ocean people. He takes them all into the Rand's bathroom where Story <laughs> is still in the shower. Wearing nothing but a towel. Tells, tells her who he thinks everyone is. And, you know, he tries to get Dury, the symbolist, to find messages in his crossword puzzle on how to safely get Story to the Eagle tomorrow night. <laughs> now the interpreter will tell us what to do if something should go wrong. He will use an instrument specific to him to interpret. Try it, Mr. Dury. Let's just see what happens. And Cleveland, like... <sighs> So it's so silly, but Cleveland's just like, please, Mr. Dury, please just indulge me here for a second. And so what's the first word he comes up with, right? A, a six-letter word for a gathering, a soiree. Mm -hmm. They need to have a party to distract the scrunt, you know, from singling out her. Because it won't be able to pick up her scent and her scent alone. Exactly. And then another word. Because we can't have the eat lawn descending on a party of people. It won't work. It won't come if there's all these people that can't see it's like Santa Claus. I'm going stress blind trying to explain this. You're right. <laughs> so there's another word in the crossword puzzle, sonorous. So they're going to get a band to distract everyone away from the party so they can safely return her to the eagle. We're taking shortcuts, Shyamalan. Yeah. How are you going to get 50 people into a single apartment for a band to play? And all of these strangers are in this bathroom going, yeah, yeah, yes. this is making sense. Oh, no, I love Anna. Anna. <laughs> Humans uh, have a punch smell to animals, so I thought that maybe everyone gathered together would confuse him and he wouldn't be able to distinguish her from uh, amongst all of us. Wow. Does that sound right? He's hearing the voice of God through a crossword puzzle. Well, we're just playing here, right? Mm -hmm. He's hearing the word of God through a crossword puzzle. <laughs> I just, oh my God. And like, yeah, so they're going to have a party with a band and they're going to return her safely to the Eagle tomorrow night. And this whole sequence, we're going to fly through this because I, I can't. Cleveland, who they think Cleveland's the guardian, right? So Cleveland decides, I'm going to attempt to fight the scrut. He kind of 
wants to do a dry run the night before just to make sure he can handle the scrunt. Yeah. So there'll be less pressure on him tomorrow night. And this is an infuriating part for me, right? Uh Because she wasn't allowed to say anything before, right? Oh, but But, all of a sudden. But now that she thinks that Cleveland's the guardian, she has a bunch of shit to say. They're on the walkie-talkies together. She's safe inside the house, and he's looking for the scrunt. And he can only find it through looking through a compact mirror and... Just a mirror in general. It doesn't have to be a compact, but... And he can only... He has to invoke a, a phrase for it to rise. Mon- Nefmara or Nefmarola. I don't, I'll play it. It is about to get very dangerous. Okay. I'm ready. You must invoke the ancient words. Nefra Mora. It is a command to rise and a challenge to fight. She can tell him ancient words to challenge the grunt. She can tell him that a guardian can hypnotize the scrunt to keep them from advancing. Nothing she tells him to do works, though. Yeah, no, he's not the guardian, guys. Yeah, I'll just that's what I have written. I was like, I'll just spoil it for you. It's because they don't have their loadout correct. Yeah, the first plot element falls. <laughs> like, <And> w- <laughs> like a cheap suit. Like, And if he only stares into his eyes, he'll keep the scrunt at bay. He does not. The scrunt attacks Cleveland, and he almost dies. You must. Something's wrong. He's stepping forward. He's stepping forward? Something's wrong! Cleveland, run! When Farber discovers him on the ground. (laughs) Yeah, because the grunt, the scrunt attacks, and we just cut to nothing. And (laughs) what exactly is it that you are doing? And he's just face down on the concrete. Uh, anything I can do for you there, Mr. Farmer? No. So, how was the, um, um, movie? Sucked. Oh, what a shame. Characters were walking around saying their thoughts out loud. Who does that? See, I feel added. I feel added. <laughs> M. Knight, stop preaching. So, guys, under the guise of a party thrown for their new tenant, <laughs> Mr. Farber. No one can pick this guy out of a lineup, and we're having a party for him. Which will keep the scrunt at bay, and then a band which will draw everyone away so they will not witness the eat lawn will ensure Story's safe return. And Cleveland is not the guardian because he almost got killed by the scrunt. He says, I cannot protect you. And, you know, this is... Uh, this is one of those instances where the lines really hit you in a greater meeting, but they're still stupid. Uh-huh. It's like, he goes, I had no powers over him. You are not the guardian. I do not understand. I cannot protect you. Where are the Tartunic? Why isn't he being punished? Where is the justice? This is a question that man itself is asking itself, that Mm -hmm. humanity is constantly asking itself. Where is the justice? Why aren't we giving ourselves justice? Mm -hmm. But we're relying on a bedtime story character to do it. (laughs) Exactly. Which is why, oh my God, man is constantly relying on stories. Oh, okay. Like the Bible. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I get man it. Man is always constantly relying on a storybook to give them the answers. But also, don't listen very well. Yeah, like I, I can, I can see it. I can see it. I can see what he tried to do <laughs> when he walks by Mr. Leeds. To hear about the party we're having for Mr. Farber. And the way leads, who never speaks. <laughs> this man's so creepy. Opens up his mouth and goes, Does man deserve to be saved, Mr. Heap? What? Man. Yes. That's not the answer I expected. Why'd you ask me that? I know about your family. I looked you up when you started working here. I know someone killed them. But you can't give up. You can't hide here, son. Uh, he says, you can't hide here. You don't want to end up like me. I'll say. This scene between Vic and Story is so powerful. And it's one of my favorites. This is um, this is where you get like the B-side to this foretold future where he will inspire a little boy to one day change the world. This is the result. Like This is the consequence of that happening. He says to Story, I was thinking about... Why this man who will revere me and speak of me never tried to meet me? Uh-huh. It might be generations before what I write. It tries to like anchors into consciousness, you yeah. know, before people finally listen, you know. Mm-hmm. And he says, "So I started thinking, how is this going to happen? Why are people going to suddenly take me seriously? And why didn't he meet me?" And I thought of how it could happen. The story I wanted to ask you, is something going to happen to me? Someone going to kill me because I write this? And without skipping a beat, yes. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, it's bad. I mean, I don't know. I honestly don't know how I would have possibly come to that conclusion. Like, I don't know. I'm just like, I would not immediately start thinking about my own possible demise in all of this. Because it's like, well, she could see the future. Why didn't she tell me that we grew up to be buddies? You know, and it's because he dies a martyr. She says to him, Man thinks they're each alone in this world. It is not true. We're all connected. One act can one day affect all. And I love that one final glimpse we get before the final action where we see Cleveland writing in his journal again. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, ugh. I, the one thing that you said when we watched this together was you love Paul Giamatti's eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He has very expressive eyes. And that's the thing that is just makes him one of the best things about this movie is, yeah, the material is hokey and underdeveloped. But when he's performing it, he's throwing his whole body into it, his whole acting chops into it. He's an amazing actor. And he really does Cleveland justice as a character. And not to mention his beautiful penmanship. I know, I know. Did you see that journal? I know, I know. Oh my God. Well, remember him signing John Adams' name in John Adams? Uh He did a really good imitation. We're at that party, and those sprinklers are going full blast. And Carrie? Uh Uh-huh. Hi, (laughs) I'm Mr. Farber. (laughs) I wanted to thank you. I was completely surprised by all of this. I was expecting some kind of greeting, of course. But 
This is beyond my expectations. <laughs> and then nothing from those two smokers. <laughs> I'm 13B. <laughs> oh, hey, like, no one knows the party's for him. Everyone just thinks it's a party, like... And Story is struggling with some anxiety because she is either going to die or the Eatlon is going to come get her, and then she'll have to go home and be the Madam Narf. Story asks Cleveland if he wants to hear his future. Oh, Lord. And he automatically says no, which is smart. It is smart. And Story says that when the eagle takes her back, it is said that the universe will give them signs. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> and that the world will line up and show them all that they are on the right path. You have to believe that this all makes sense somehow. I don't know why I'm the Madame Narf. I'm not special. I'm clumsy. They make fun of me. I don't know how to lead. I love this line when Cleveland says you have to believe that this all makes sense somehow. It always strikes me when he says that to her because it's almost like he's talking to himself and yeah. not her. And she, he tells her that she's brave and that she will have to do what she thinks is right when she becomes a leader and that she was seemingly always meant to lead because this is happening to me, goddammit. <laughs> so you're just going to have to pull up your big girl pants and do it. It's time. And guys, this all goes wrong. The timing is off. Nothing lines up the way it's supposed to. Because, you know, Anna's trying to get the scrunt in her sights with a mirror. She drops the mirror. She can't find it. And then the walkie-talkies don't work, so the band doesn't start playing on time. So no one runs inside to get away from the pool. And, like, Paul! Paul. <laughs> Cleveland takes his eyes off Story for two seconds. That scrunt snatches her up. He literally charges through the sprinklers and she's being dragged through the grass towards the woods. <laughs> and the scrunt like gives up as soon as Paul. <laughs> We're both doing it. Cleveland runs after her. And so they take her into, like, where the mailboxes are, yeah. you know, in the cove. Mrs. Bell's like, listen, she's probably not dead. And, like, she's got fresh scratches on her legs, deep ones. She looks drained. Yeah. Her color is off. It's leaving her hair. Yeah, the color's leaving her hair. That's the thing. She goes from being Bryce Dallas Red to <laughs> being, yeah. like, Paris Hilton blonde by the end of this movie. And we also, guys, we also see this shot of the scrunt getting inside the building. Why? Why? So that we can be scared. <laughs> this is I love the latter half of this movie where Shawan is trying to make it scary for you, <laughs> but you just can't believe it. And you're just like, how am I supposed to take this seriously? And they all start to, everybody who's knowing, air quote, knowing. Yeah, let's, let's, that's a good word for it. The knowing tenants are all gathered in this room and they're starting to realize that nothing's working out and no one seems to be who they thought they were in this story. Because like I said earlier, they've got their loadout wrong. Dury says that, this world is about finding your purpose, and the only way to do that is to find your voice. And finding one's purpose is a profound thing. Sometimes it isn't always what it seems. I don't feel like an interpreter. Is it possible that that isn't my purpose? I don't see anything in these words, and I didn't before. And finding one's purpose is a profound thing. Sometimes it isn't always what it seems. 
What if these young men are not the guild? Look at what happened to the party. These things haven't seemed right from the beginning. Why are you so certain that I'm the interpreter and they are the guild? Why are you so certain that I'm the interpreter, that I'm the symbolist? And it's because someone who thinks they know everything told Cleveland so. Mm-hmm. Mr. Farber. Yeah. Who would do this? Who would deliberately intend to know the intentions of another human being? I think that line's a little much. It's like they're trying to make Farber sound like he was trying to kill this poor little girl on purpose. Cue one of the most hilarious death scenes in cinema. I hate this part and love it at the same time. Farber walks into this hallway where the scrunt is at. <laughs> Tries to flip the switch, light blows out. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> and, like, he is recognizing all of the hallmarks of a classic scene in a horror film, and he is speaking to himself out loud about it. Remember ten minutes ago when he was complaining about how characters said their own thoughts out loud? Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> M. Night, what are you doing? This is where I turn to run. You will leap for me. I will shut the door, and you will land a fraction of a second too late. He does not. He does not. (laughs) That thing snatches him up, and I'm just like, all right, double middle finger, M. Night, let's go. (laughs) Double middle finger. They all decide they need to find the real symbolist in order to move forward. Oh, my God. They need someone who sees meaning in the ordinary. The way Shyamalan will not quit digging. He went from something that makes not very much sense at all to something that makes somehow even less. Well, Vic's like, listen, we're dealing with a world where we don't know the rules. That makes sense. What is going to be important is what we think is ordinary, you know, Mm -hmm. but is extraordinary to someone like Story. And as long as it uh, passes the suspension bridge of disbelief, I don't have a problem with it. (laughs) And however, Dury's like, oh my God. It's fucking Joey. It's my kid. Who who is guys? Guys. <laughs> we cut to little Joey <laughs> sitting in front of the pantry in his apartment, looking at the backs of cereal boxes from which he is interpreting what needs to now happen. He's being so eloquent about it too. There is a ceremony to be done. You're doing great, Joey. Shh. The hands of the guild will be needed, plus two others. Joey, who is the guild? It is a ceremony of seven sisters. Sisters? The guild is women? They will touch together with their hearts as one to bring strength to the moment. No, they, he actually is just throwing more shit at you. We're looking at the back of a Fruity Pebbles box. So from that, Cleveland recruits the Perez de la Torre sisters. Yeah, and the, the ones from the first scene Yeah, that we've already forgotten about. Seven sisters, and then young Sue and Anna are going to bake the other two, right? Mm-hmm. He gets Mr. Bubachick. Boobichick? Boobichuck. I wrote Bubchick. He gets Mr. Bubachick. Who, a man who has no secrets because of his wife. And Mr. Leeds, a person whose opinion is greatly respected, but just by Cleveland, even though Joey said by all. I think this is another one of my major quibbles. We've spent, like, no time with some of these other characters. I know, and they're all coming in at the last second. And it just kind of takes the wind out of it for me. If, like, we'd seen more of the sisters and more of Bubchick, I would feel less prickly about this. But it's just, I, eh, couldn't we have all just been wrong about everybody's wrong? and reshuffled the people we already had 
I think that would have worked better, but whatever. Then a storm begins, and as rain falls, everyone is forced inside, and the band kicks up. And so they try the ceremony with Mrs. Bell, the healing ceremony. And the newly realized elemental people are there, and it still doesn't work, and everybody's like... This is crazy. Bubba Chick says, this woman is probably dying. You need to take her to a hospital. And like, Leeds is like, listen. We can't just stand here playing make-believe. I wanted to believe more than most. I want to be like a child again. I needed to believe there's something more than this awfulness around us. But at some point, we have to stop. Mr. Leeds, it is time to prove some stories are real. I love your passion, young Sue, but like... I just, I, uh, this... uh, Joey pipes up and says, the healer's actually a man. I'm sorry, it was my first time reading signs in cereal boxes. (laughs) 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 The healer is actually a man. So Mrs. Bell isn't the healer. And then they then deduce that Cleveland is probably the healer. Yeah. She only noticed the butterflies when he came around her. Yeah. And it doesn't make a lot of sense, but the healing is heavy. It's what the sequence is called. The healing ceremony? Yes. And, like, he has to pour his energy into her in this unburdening fashion. And he just starts talking to his family, his deceased family. Oh, I should have been there. I am always going to regret just not being there. I'll miss your faces. Oh, they remind me of God. It's so sad. I know. It, it just, he just, how badly he feels inside that he wasn't there to protect them. But this is why this makes sense to me. I love that Cleveland is the healer. It's what he's been doing since the very beginning. All of his life, really. He was a doctor before things went south for him. He fixes things for everyone in that whole living situation. He, when he's like, when he's just breaking down and he says, I met this very nice lady, and her name is Story. And I think you would have liked her. I think she might be an angel. Because she has to go home. I look at it completely differently than that, actually, because, yeah, everything you said just makes sense, but, like, the exact definition of the healer, as Mr. Heap says, is that it's a person so full of hope that it can awaken a being's life force, and, yeah, you wouldn't immediately suspect Mr. Heap, but I think Story coming into his life, her being so extraterrestrial, in a sense, and wondrous, has given him a renewed sense of wonder and hope about the world. I think we're both right. I, I'll take it. I think we are both right. Oh, holy shit. I didn't think we were going to agree on a single thing. Okay, Carrie. <laughs> Shush. <laughs> she wakes. Her wounds are healed. Her eyes are blue. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, like, <laughs> I just love that. They were white when she came to him, and now they're blue. Mm-hmm. Like, we're outside. Oh, Carrie. I know. We're but- outside, and it's raining. And she thanks all of the tenants for everything they've done. All the knowing tenants. Everybody it's- else is inside. Yeah. 
The scrunt is still inside, by the way. Yeah. And it's trying to get out. And that great shot where it's digging at the door, mm-hmm. and it do- it opens it. How? How? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't have fun. I don't have all the answers, Carrie. <laughs> make it make sense. <laughs> and that shot of it, like, zooming towards Cleveland's back. Oh, boy. And we still haven't actually identified the Guardian. Story locks eyes with it, and Cleveland slowly turns around. I just love the music. Reaches down slowly for the squeegee. <laughs> the squeegee. He's gonna fight off this feral animal with a pool tool. The scrunt is right in front of them, but it won't attack. It's being kept at bay. Like, remember, you can allegedly control this thing by staring into its eyes, but we know neither of them are the guardian. And so Cleveland slowly turns around. This is a great shot. Oh my god. Oh my god. He's the guardian. Reggie! 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 Just keep looking in his eyes! Keep looking in his eyes! And then that freak who only works out one side of his body is standing there with a plate of wet food! (laughs) Is he making a plate of food in the rain? Why? James Newton Howard. I know. I love that my favorite shot in the movie. It's the lightning striking on the cove sign. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And we see Reggie coming through the mist with the squeegee back in the scrunt up. Yeah, he's just backing him back up to the woods. And he has the uh, horrific honor of witnessing the elusive Tartutic finally appear on screen with three minutes left. Like, the Tartutic appear, again, great creature design. They look fucking scary. Yeah, but, like, we've waited so long to pull that pin that I don't even care anymore. They whoop themselves some scrunt ass. <laughs> Grunty, hunty. They drag his ass into the woods and into the mist and Reggie is traumatized. <laughs> Maybe we'll start working out the left side of our body for a while. And Carrie, just the build, the eat lawn is descending, and Carrie... Yeah, this last moment is great. That release, and they embrace, and Cleveland says, Thank you for saving my life. And then we only see it from underneath the pool surface. The eagle land, pick her up, and take off with her. And they just fly off into the sky with everybody watching. Roll credits. (laughs) (laughs) I love that moment so much. I wish the rest of the movie had been like that. (laughs) James Newton Howard, you made such a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing. This, that. It's the only reason we're here. It's like James Newton Howard is riding a flaming chariot (laughs) through the sky, and M. Night Shyamalan is on the back of it with tons of buckets of water (laughs) trying to put it out. (laughs) 
And I'm like, and every time he dumps out a bucket of water, he's like, is this the lady? No. Is this the lady? No. Is this my plot? No. Is this my plot? No. Is this character development? No. <laughs> I just, oh, oh, man. And obviously, Carrie, you know why I like this movie. Was I not clear? It's the music. No, but you know why I like the deeper message of this movie. I think I do. I think I do. I do have some thoughts. In a world of hopeless abandon and apathy, Mm -hmm. there are forces in the world that can inspire us to affect great change. Like that thing story says, one great act can affect all. And that makes me cry. I know. And I just, I, the message is so pure and so good. I just wish they'd actually done it well. I know. I know. I, I Again, like I said, we've got the pieces. But I just, there are so many things I would have done differently. Some things I wouldn't have done at all. Like, it's a great premise, right? All of these people who don't know who they are are able to come together in this really random, everyday scenario to affect great change in the world. I've got bad news for you. It's magic realism. And you were not keen with the magic realism in Stranger Than Fiction. This is over. (laughs) Have a good night. No, sit back down. I'm done. Hold on. I have something nice to say about this movie you love. What? I do love the concept of like this, this apartment building that is obviously secluded from the rest of, you know, civilization in its own way, just by the fact that we never leave this set. And then you have this community of people who are all just kind of existing. Mm-hmm. Nobody's necessarily thriving. And then it's because it's because they're stagnant. You know, their lives have grown stagnant. And then this young woman, this young creature, ends up in their pool. And for some of them, they have a whole new outlook on life. Because they thought they had seen just about everything they were going to in this life already. And this fantastical element comes into their lives. And it's like what um, Mr. Leeds says. He's like, I want to feel like a child again. Mm -hmm. I want to have that hope that things are not going to be as awful as this all the time. And that there are forces that can make things better. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's the feeling like a kid again for me Mm -hmm. and like being able to be surprised by life instead of beaten down by it. And believe that mermaids have legs. Oh yeah. (laughs) Because that is the version of the tale we would all prefer when that episode of Futurama, when Fry thinks he's going to live at the bottom of a sea with a mermaid until he figures out that the actual sex with the mermaid is going to be weird. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, why don't you have a fish head and lady bits? (laughs) Can I say something? though what i don't know if story's gonna be a good leader i don't either man that would be a great oh i don't want to speak this hey no you better not i'm agreeing with you on this don't say it great i'd love to see the blue world but i've seen the little mermaid (laughs) and you've seen avatar i've seen homer's the odyssey (laughs) and i've seen harry potter and the goblet of fire and you've seen lord of the rings yeah no (laughs) are there mermaids in lord of the rings i don't know but there are big birds Okay. <laughs> All right. That come in at the end of the plot and tie everything up in a nice little bow. Atlantis is waiting. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, M. Night, you took a lot of different things from a lot of different pies and gave us a shit pie. <laughs> oh, I almost feel bad. We're picking on him a lot. I mean, he did this. I don't. <laughs> And made no money. He dropped his big potential balls on the table and then cut them up. (laughs) It was a nothing burger. I know. (laughs) 
Guys, Carrie Ann is so glad that's over. I am. But you got two more that I'm going to put you through this month. I like the other two better than this one. <laughs> you say that. I know, I know. The you, you know what? We're always super hard on each other in birthday month. Oh my God. You know what I didn't realize? What? Today's 9 11. <laughs> oh, oh my no. God. Oh no. Oh, it's September 11th, isn't it, listener? <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah, whoops. Uh-oh, I forgot. All right, tell them what we're doing next time. All right, guys. Oh, I love this movie. <laughs> we're getting back into Toontown, aren't we? A little, yeah. Oh, my God, guys. We're going to be covering a Warner Brothers treat, an absolute delight. The 2003 animated banger classic, Looney Tunes Back in Action. I haven't seen this movie in decades. Oh, come on. Brendan Fraser. Oh no, I remember Brendan Fraser, and I remember that woman. And Jenna all, Elfman, yeah. And, and Jenna Elfman, and like I just Steve Martin. Yeah. He's Marvin Acme. I. I <laughs> Listen. See, she's not gonna be happy with anything I do ever. Oh shut up! That's not it. I just can't remember if this movie was good because I was a kid, or if it's really bad. Gary, it's good because Looney Tunes. <laughs> okay, is that's why fair. It's good. That's fair. So I will remain optimistic. Be on the lookout for that next week, folks. In the meantime, you can go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K I C K N S T R E A M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. We want everyone to come and see what a mess this movie is. <laughs> More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, a sorry, sorry mom. mom.